Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. <laughs> if you want any chance to recoup your money and get anything out of that podcast, do exactly as I say. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to the show. This show is being recorded for January 26th, 2024. Oh, happy day. First to business, this show is not kid safe, not work safe, not safe for anyone in any circumstance. Wear your hard hat, uh, take cover. The show is Creative Commons licensed, non-commercial attribution 4.0. Unported. Theme music is by the late great band, The Gentle Readers. P- put a pin in that. Bandwidth is via Cashfly under the kind umbrella of Backbeat Media. I do not speak for any day job for anyone because I don't have one. <laughs> Look, lucky me. All right, let's pull the pin right back out, <laughs> which is to say, um, I'm going to play another song from the new, I mean, it's a six and a half year old album that I didn't realize ever got released. So I guess it's new to me. Uh, was it NBC that used to um, build their reruns as if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Uh, kind of that situation. So I'm going to play I, the last song, Goldmine, the, the song that I played t- uh, two shows ago, sounded very much like something that would have come off the High Honey album. Uh, this song sounds very much like something that would have come off the You and Black and White album, kind of Americana, kind of a first person uh, storytelling type thing. So let's uh, let's have that. This is from the album You're Soaking It by the Gentle Readers. This is The Highest Barstool.
All right, that was The Gentle Readers with The Highest Barstool from the album You're Soaking In It. Again, I'm very late to the party. Okay, I have not talked for some time about uh, my weight issues. (laughs) They exist. Oh, they've been there. They've never, ever gone away. And so, you know, at points in time, I have been on the Eat to Live plan. And when I uh, when I am on it diligently, I have a weight that is about where I want it to be. And uh, as long as I eat approximately like that, um, I maintain that weight. When I go off the plan, I gain weight. That is pretty much life. To the point where I am so completely confident that uh, given any amount of time on the plan, like a significant time, um, being diligently on the plan, I can lose weight, that I get really complacent. And I say, I'll go off the plan. And the thing is that I do that, and then I forget to ever go back on. <laughs> Case in point, I'm pretty sure the last time I went off was specifically because of the softball postseason, um, which meant that uh, we were traveling a lot. We were in lots of ballparks all day sometimes. It's very difficult to to mostly eat raw vegetables and raw fruits uh, when, you know, you're traveling all over and there are concession stands right there. So I said, fuck it. I'll just go off the plan for a little bit of time. I'll eat some cheese fries from whatever hole in the wall is in whatever weird ballpark we're in. It'll be fine. My friends, the last time that happened was June of 2022. I just never. And there every time I go up, basically week by week, I think this is the week I'll go back on, except that. Well, my birthday's coming up, or Christmas is coming up, or Thanksgiving's coming up, or, and there's always a reason it could be put off one more week. So that's kind of the background. Post Christmas, as one might imagine, when I wasn't on the thing, Christmas just came. And if there was some sort of form of candy, uh, I shoved it in my gullet as it went by. <laughs> Did not think twice about any of it Reese's trees, uh, peppermint bark things, peppermint. Bark covered pretzels, whatever, anything. If it's salty, if it's sugary, whatever. I did not care one bit. Got to the beginning of the year. Now, bearing in mind too, 
somewhere in this year and a half uh, off the plan, I have put on clothes that formerly fit and noticed those clothes didn't fit. I know that I'm fatter than I was because this is the, I can look at the photo from June and I'm wearing these clothes. And if I put them on now, I look like an overstuffed sausage. So clearly I, I understand what's going on. Even if I'm not stepping on the scale, which by the way, I did not do a single time in that year and a half. So come the beginning of the year, I say, I got to get my shit together. This is for one thing, half the clothes I have, I can't wear right now because I'm too big for them. And you know, I don't want to be this heavy. I want to be about where I was. That's why I was on the plane in the first place. So I go like right at the first of the year, I step on my withings scale. Of course, it doesn't know who I am because I'm so far from the last time I weighed it. You know, this happens when you go a long time on one of these Wi-Fi scales without weighing. It kind of, uh, it just says, well, this person is nowhere near any of the weights we know for anybody on the scale. Who the fuck are you? So I step on it, and I had a number in my mind as the worst case scenario number. Then I step on the Withing scale, and what I see is a number 15 pounds above what I had already identified as an emergency worst case scenario. So it's way worse than that. It's like 7%, 8% worse than what I had said is, oh my God, it could be as bad as this. Well, it's, oh my friend, it's worse than, it's significantly worse than that. It's like, oh shit. So. uh uh, no fucking around. I just basically started that day. It was a Friday and I almost always start on Mondays because I take the weekend and I say, well, if I'm starting, it's almost like I have a little Mardi Gras every time I uh, start to plan where I say, well, if I'm going to start eating only vegetables starting Monday, let's go crazy and I'll eat whatever I feel like today, you know, or all weekend. And this time I didn't even feel like doing that. I was so demoralized. <laughs> I was like, it's Friday. I'm just starting the plan right now and uh, going forward. And the eat to live plan always has this magic trick at the beginning, right? The, the, it's very, it's not much of a plan, to be honest. It's, uh, you eat mostly raw vegetables. That's, that's the plan. Sometimes you can eat some cooked vegetables, but focus on effectively eat salads. For the people who act as if this is a weirdly controversial subject, what we're saying is in order to lose weight, eat salads. I mean, who the fuck objects to that? Seriously. But the because you're, the things you're cutting out, so you don't eat meat, but also you don't eat anything processed. So no cookies, crackers, chips, that sort of thing. So salty stuff goes away, and processed stuff goes away, and simple carbohydrates go away. And the magic trip, of course, is you stop eating, you eat a normal American diet, and then you go to, to unprocessed foods from that, whatever the unprocessed food is. The amount of salt that you're intaking goes way down. You lose a lot of fluids. You lose pounds and pounds like in the first three days. And true to form, if you draw the graph, the beginning is always a steep drop that then kind of levels out into something kind of sustainable. It's probably the first two days I lost like seven pounds. <laughs> but it's all water that you just pee out, right? You know. Um, and then long term, you settle down into something, or at least I settle down into something close to about seven tenths of a pound a day. So roughly five pounds a week is what I lose as long as I stick to the plan. And true to form, I've been on this a couple of weeks now and that's about where I'm at. And I got, a, I'm wearing a pair of jeans that previously could not slide over my fat ass uh, and they're back. So uh, that's step one. And I had three pairs of jeans, oddly enough, one's a 34, one's a 33, and then the other's a 34. And I 
set them down. I laid them out. And one of the 34s is the smallest of the three. The 33 of this one brand is bigger than the 34 of this other. So the 33 and the 34, I can both slide my fat ass into. The the black 34 uh, isn't. Uh, And I kind of know about maybe a year ago, I was wearing those jeans and I just had to admit they were getting uncomfortably tight. So I know about when I crossed this point last year. And I'm using them like I can barely, like if I really suck in my gut, I could maybe button them. There's no chance of me like walking around normal, acting as if life is normal in these pants. So now these are my bellwether. Um, Next Monday, I'm going to try to wear them again. I'm going to see where I'm at. So I know what the scale is doing, but I also want uh, like a butt measurement in the form of a garment. So those pants kind of become that. So I'm back. I'm kind of resuming diligence. I'm I'm doing the stuff. I've I've had lapses, and like a lapse is typically like uh, I ate a little bit of a chipotle leftover chipotle burrito. I don't know, maybe five bites of it. That was enough to screw things up, probably because of the amount of salt, the amount of stuff in there, the amount of, you know, just uh, things that wouldn't normally be in my diet. And so, you know, there's a tick up. I actually gained weight that day. It's like, oh, God, that was enough to make me gain weight. There's a little bit of a gentle, delicate balance to this whole thing. At least it is for me in that I need to see enough progress uh, day to day that I don't lose motivation because, you know, I am, it's not like a super hard privation. It's not like I'm starving myself. I quite like the thing uh, that I'm eating, but I am passing up things that I would be happy to eat. <laughs> a lot of shit looks delicious and I would be happy to throw it down my food hole. Um, but I'm not going to, I've got to keep that discipline going. And so um, it really, if I gain weight four days in a row, really makes it hard to just maintain the willpower to just not snack on the cookie that you walk by. This house is so full of stuff. I mean, this house, if I were living by myself and could control the things around me, it would be easier. But there is <laughs> the kitchen, the pantry, the the dining room, sometimes the living room. It's just covered with stuff that would be that I uh, like to eat. Would be happy to eat. Would happy to to to, to just gobble down, um, but I shouldn't. <laughs> so that's the whole thing. Is I gotta just too many days in a row of uh, you know if I have the lapse, uh, and I snap back to it, uh, you know that's that's one thing. But if I just keep fucking it up just enough, um, you know then then you just kind of lose the will to continue. So that's where I'm at now. I will say that I've got a, a couple examples, uh, positive and negative, uh, helping drive this, right? The, uh, you know, along with retirement, basically a lot of what I've been doing, you know, not just in the last, you know, seven weeks since I had no job, but, you know, in the run up to that, I'm thinking about what does the rest of my life look like? How mobile am I for how much of this time? What am I capable of doing at what age? How long am I going to live? What, how long will I live with a quality of life um, that I would uh, be happy with? You know, all of these kinds of questions. So now we've got three old men to look at. <laughs> Two dead, one uh, still with us, uh, at least um, at least as of 1230 
p.m. <laughs> like three hours ago, he was alive. I don't know about right now. <sighs> so, Grampy, who I talk about, you know, I've seen him as an example of what happens when you get into an easy chair at age 60 and you don't get out. Right? Like a year ago, he could walk. I'm trying to think when he got to where he could not walk without the walker. That's relatively recently. Like for a long uh, time of the dialysis era, he would roll his walker out to the door, he'd leave his walker, and then he'd walk the rest of the way to the car. Today, and which is fairly typical of right now, not only is he never going to turn loose of that walker, he can't even, he had a hard time rolling the walker over the threshold of the door. Now he has a ramp on the other side of that threshold, but getting the walker over the threshold, like the quarter inch tall threshold was enough to slow him down. So so we're kind of on the downhill side of that. Now, I had two uh, grandfathers, right? As is typical <laughs> in any sort of species that reproduces sexually. I had two grandfathers. My maternal grandfather was a short, stout, tubby guy who also, by the way, was balding. He had a black hair to the very end of his life, but... He, it kind of grew into that male pattern baldness monk head. So <laughs> he had, you know, the ring of the half ring of hair around the back part of his head, um, fat in a way that he was like solid. It wasn't like sh- it wouldn't shake around a lot, but he just carried a lot of mass around his midriff. I mean, he had like fat fingers. He was just like a, he, he, he was, oh, he was something. And that guy died of a heart attack at age. 64, 63, somewhere in there. So like not much older than I am today. He dies of a heart attack. My father's father, uh, kind of the other end of the, s- the scale, fairly skinny, fairly tall, um, full head of hair as long as he lived, but he went gray at like age 42, <laughs> you know? So, um, and he had a pretty good quality of life up until he died of, I don't remember what he died of. Um, he was a smoker most of his life, you know, for 48 years, like the last couple of years of his life, he quit one day, he woke up coughing as, uh, smokers do. And he starts coughing up blood and he grabs his cigarettes and he threw them in the trash and he never smoked again. It's like, huh? Wow. Okay. If you could do that now, why didn't you do that 30 years ago? But there you go. Uh, you know, and so he lived into his late seventies, um, but he had pretty good, pretty much a good quality of life. And both of those guys had a good quality of life up until the end. Now, I hope to uh, live closer to the age of my father-in-law, but with the quality of life of uh, my actual uh, grandfathers. And so, uh, you know, that the, the weight is part of that. The activity level is part of that. Um, I am absolutely looking every day at the, um, you know, at, at the holistic, like my my wife kind of, uh, as we approached retirement. And so we've been having the retirement discussion. I mean, honestly, when I left ServiceNow, um, there was a discussion of whether or not I was retiring. Um, and I could have not taken the other job, but uh, it was it would have been possible. But uh, in a lot of ways, she just wasn't ready yet. She hadn't really admitted that we were fine. She really, honestly, she hasn't admitted that we're fine yet. But uh, she more or less uh, uh, succumbed to the reasoning that she's never going to think we're fine. So why should I keep working just to play, just to wait for a comfort level that will never happen? So I ain't going to do it. But uh, so the the engineering of the money, like the examining of the money has been a lot of the last couple of years. But really, it's like at this point, it's now examining the rest of the stuff. Like 
My office is upstairs and our playroom is upstairs. I'm 56. How many, exactly how many years do I uh, walk up these stairs um, without trouble? Like, when does it become a problem that this stuff is upstairs? Certainly, I know older people who don't want to climb stairs anymore. Now, if I climb the stairs, you know, somewhere between four and 20 times a day, between now and the future, does that mean I'm going to keep climbing the stairs longer? I mean, it may very well. The point at which old people stop getting comfortable climbing stairs, um, when is that? And do I push that out later if I continue to climb them? Like, am I helping myself by, uh, you know, by having this setup? I, that's the thing I don't know. But I do know that weighing, you know, having a BMI over 30 doesn't help anything. At this moment, you know, if you look at all that stuff, I am classified as morbidly obese, not merely obese, but morbidly obese. Um, once I get under the level of obesity, then you get to the point where if I get down to a certain point as the BMIs fall and I forget what the weight is, I think it's like 196 for my height. It's the point where I'm, I think under a BMI of 25. And there was a point in time where that was a really important number because I qualified for some sort of kickback on my work insurance. Like they would give you like a cash rebate if you could get yourself under a BMI of 25, I think. <laughs> Something like that. And I, so I have done that. I think that might have been the very first time I went on uh, Eat to Live was partly motivated by getting that cash kickback. Bribery works. I mean, people don't bribe other people because it's ineffective. <laughs> it, it pretty much always works. <laughs> or let's say, not say always, but it often works. Um, so, there you go. So that's I, that, that's occupying a lot of. I mean, it's just like engineering. I got you know everything I do when I plan the retirement. I look at living to the year one to the age of one hundred. So you know, I do I have enough money to last twenty years? That's not the question. Do I have enough money to last forty four years? That's the question. And thus far, the answer is yes. So now the question is, do I have enough health? make it that long. I mean, living to 90 and then spending 10 years bedridden, not really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for more of a, like a Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, uh, 90s, you know, I want that sort of thing. I definitely don't want to, you know, be confined to anything or we, I, I went and looked at an assisted living facility, um, that is thus far being resisted, but Rationally, I was surprised at how rational the discussion was. I've expected just knee-jerk anger and just like, ah, hell no, fuck. That's what I expected. Uh, because, I mean, you get that if you suggest a meal that the guy doesn't want. You get that kind of re reaction. So suggesting he go into assisted living when he doesn't want. What he said was more like, I don't think I'm ready for that. I want to keep living by myself as long as I can. Implying to me that there is that he understands there is a point at which he loses that. So he's, if he's thinking about this, that being able to live in that house by himself is a privilege. And uh, if he starts falling on the ground and needing to call me to come over and get his ass up off the ground, he loses that privilege. And so um, I, I actually like this mindset. So I'm, <laughs> that's, that's to the good. I'm, I'm happy with that. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we stick with that. Shifting gears associated in and around the subgenius stuff. I listen to a bunch of subgenius stuff, which is I listen to The Hour of Slack and Bob's Slack Time Funhouse, both of which are on the radio station I used to work at 40 years ago. Uh, uh, 40. No, not 40, but 35 years ago. Um, 
I listened to Puzzling Evidence, which is on KPFA in San Francisco. And I listened to the Ask Dr. Hal show, which is on Radio Valencia in San Francisco. There is a thing called Relodeo. And it is associated with these people. It's kind of some of the same players in both the Ask Dr. Howe show and the Puzzling Evidence show. Um, it's, it started with um, the late Pete Goldie, who was often on some, some of these shows. Um, and his wife started a thing called Reloadio, which is really just them broadcasting internet radio out of their house. Pete died somewhere in the COVID era. I'm not sure if he died of COVID. Um, but his widow... Um, continued forward with the project. And now they have a room in their, their house um, that is this studio. And it's the Relodio Studios. Okay, so um, apparently uh, Dr. Hal has some sort of beef with Radio Valencia and shit doesn't work and people complain about him. and he, So there is some possibility, and they have discussed this, as that he goes and produces the show over at this other studio and then just uploads the show to the thing, and then it plays in his time slot. Um, and it would be probably more comfortable and more, like, everyone would be happy with this sort of uh, arrangement. But what they do is they have a Shoutcast server that they stream basically Saturday nights, and I think maybe that's the only time that they do this. And on the Radio Valencia show, there's this guy, K-Rob, who's kind of a friend of all these people. And he was discussing kind of what that station needs. And he was talking about what sounded like some basic software stuff, setting up uh, some web pages and some basic processes. So I joined their Facebook group, which <laughs> right away, you'll know that's a little bit of a climb. I hate to use Facebook for anything. Um, but I joined the Facebook group. They admitted me. And then I made a post a couple days ago saying... By the way, I am a recently retired software engineer. I know I heard K-Rob talking about things that need built. If you guys can explain to me what needs built, I have a little bit of time and energy to build things for you. Thus far, nobody has, there's some interest has been registered, but we haven't like had a meeting. Nobody's given me a list or we haven't even discussed how this would happen or do I remote log in? Do they tell me what they need and I... Uh, point them to a Git private GitHub repo, or I don't know what I don't know what happens, but I'm willing. <laughs> I, I made myself available to them. Um, but one of the things a long time ago, uh, if you ever hear the story of me talking about how it was um, podcasting steam engine time, like podcasting, something like podcasting was going to be invented when it was, because for the year and a half to two years before. I was doing, I used Radio Lover on an old computer and I was saving MP3 streams and then burning them to CDs, like MP3 CDs. And then I had a iRiver Slim X that I carried around. So I was doing the stuff with way more friction and it involved burning CDs and throwing the CDs away. And it was a pain in the ass, but it was also doing things like carrying internet radio around uh, and listening to it kind of ubiquitously, much like you would do with a podcast feed. So that kind of stuff was happening. And I thought 20 years ago, I was saving streams uh, and listening to them. And I thought this when uh, Relodio does their shoutcast, they start at typically their pre-show starts at 10 p.m. their time, which is already 1 a.m. So I'm a I'm asleep long before they start. And I thought Radio Lover has not been nobody has done anything to Radio Lover in I don't know. I was using it 20 years ago. Probably it hasn't been touched in 18 or 15 years. And I just made a cursory look for it. And then I thought, 
you know, I have, I fucking paid for Audio Hijack Pro so that I could do this podcast. Doesn't it have a schedule? So I looked around and, and uh, sure enough, Audio Hijack Pro does allow you to do a schedule. And so I set up a, like a scene, or like whatever you call the thing, a project, a scene, whatever you call the thing, uh, that had one block, which is open VLC to this URL, which is the Relodio stream URL on Shoutcast. And do this at starting at 1 a.m. on Sunday, my Sunday morning and do this for I think I did it for four hours. Actually, I probably didn't do it enough. I probably set it to six because it'll just stop recording when they stop. So there's no harm in doing too much. I actually want to make sure that the, the server is up because I think that the way this works is that if it opens it and there's no server on there, like VLC will get an error and it won't retry. So it'll just not do that. But. Uh, at least for last week, um, I was able to capture the Relodio stream uh, and then listen to it uh, in my podcast app. So they don't have uh, any sort of podcasting thing, but it could entirely be possible um, for me to create a podcast feed, which is recording their own shit and putting it somewhere and then creating a podcast feed for it. Like that could happen. Um, so we'll see how uh, we'll see how that goes. Um. I don't know any of these people personally. I just listen to them. So um, from their perspective, I can see them being what they don't want to do probably is get in a situation where I create things that are mission critical for them. And then I bail on it and nobody knows how it works. Right. That's, that's a lot of times how these sorts of projects go. So, uh, you know, much like my previous, the last job I had in my career from the day I started, I knew I was going to be there somewhere between like one and four years. Probably less than four. Yeah, I probably I was was not going to be there less than one year, but you know, as it turns out, it was like one point eight years. It just I needed to not be there super long. Uh, I could have done another year, uh, but life circumstances. You know, if I can, if I cannot find a time in a forty-hour work week to record a podcast, I certainly can't do a job in that time. So, uh, you know, it, it just needed to be done the way it was done. But I will take the same approach. If I do anything for Reloadio, um, I will try to document everything as I go so that at any point, if, if the thing I do that day is the last thing I ever do, nobody's ever host, right? <laughs> it's basically uh, locking the door behind me every time uh, I touch it. And so we'll see if that, um, we'll see if that does anything. F- hold on one second. I'm going to take a sip this fine today Starbucks in the Ember mug. Taking a look at the dogs. Eagle-eared listeners uh, should know that what I've recorded so far is in two chunks. At one point, the old dog started moving. I just stopped in the middle of a sentence. For once, I remembered where I was in the sentence. And uh, I uh, went running downstairs. And when I came back up, I kept going with the sentence. So tell you what, we'll make a little uh, impromptu contest. The first person, if anyone can tell me where the break between those two shows was, I will send you an Evil Genius Chronicles t-shirt. How about that? Any listener, reach out to davidevilgeniuschronicles.org. Tell me where the break was and I will uh, get you a t-shirt. All right. If you have one before, you you can gift it to somebody else. If you... uh, Probably most people who bought shirts at this point, uh, it's been uh, worn enough. It might be about time for a refresh. But anyway, I am currently watching uh, 
uh, the two dogs downstairs on the living room cam. And the old dog is lying on the couch. Of course, anytime he's on the couch, that means I lifted him up because he can't. Uh, he's not spry enough to get up there. But the puppy, who is now two years old and no longer a puppy, that dog is like curled up and using that other dog's butt as a pillow. So they're cu- cu- curled up together on the love seat. And it is adorable. So I'm uh, looking at them right now. So anyway, one more sip of this delicious coffee. Thank you, Ember Mug. I uh, what, one of the things I have found a little bit of time. Uh, I can watch TV because things that, that I can do downstairs with the dogs and keep an eye on them. Those things can happen, so it's not a problem. You know, watching TV. It's not a problem. It, it's just that the podcast production stuff is not downstairs. That's what makes it hard to get a show in the can and deal with these dogs and life, right? That if I were willing to move all the stuff downstairs, that might be different, but there's nowhere to put it downstairs. This is, I just have to figure this out. But in the things, I've watched the Mario Bava movie Black Sabbath, which I had never seen before. And it's an anthology movie, uh, you know, kind of like the Edgar Allan Poe, Roger Corman did a Poe thing that was like that. The three stories in the course of a, a movie, you know, it's kind of like three Twilight Zone-ish type things put together in a feature movie. But the the first section of that Black Sabbath movie was about, and it's, if you look at this, there's so little, it's like half an hour long and there's so little plot. This woman keeps getting called and there's, there's somebody on the other end of the line saying, I'm going to kill you. And then uh, oh Henry type <laughs> twist happens. But it's so, and this was, when was this film? Like 60, early 60s, 62, 63, somewhere in there. You know, so it's your classic. I think it was not phone on the wall like I had, but it was, you know, your big Bakelite phone with the big loud ring, you know, and the clickety clickety circular dial. And it was amazing to me to think that this was 60 years ago and the social contract is so very, very different because when that phone rang, you you answered it. You would go crazy. You'd run across the house if you had to to try to pick it up. It was loud, insistent. It just like would make your teeth rattle. So a lot of times, even if you didn't want to answer the phone, you went and answered the phone because it's going to just <laughs> make such a ruckus if you don't. And uh, the idea of like not answering these calls, even when you know, like every call is this guy saying, I'm going to kill you. Well, wh- why answer the next call? Because the phone is ringing and it's going ring, ring, ring. Uh, and at no point did this woman take the phone off the hook. I mean, obviously the movie doesn't, you know, this segment of the movie doesn't happen if you take the phone off the hook. But I mean, I remember being in those kinds of situations. You know, the phone was so important and you had to take a message. You know, even as a kid, you had to figure out who was calling. You had to take a message. You had to get the message to somebody. The idea that, uh, you know, the, the telephone call was so sacrosanct. God forbid it was long distance because then, you know, somebody's paying money. So you really got to get your shit together. And now it's if I get a phone call and I don't recognize the number on my phone, I will not answer it. Or, or let's put it in this situation. Those There are time periods where I have to answer every call because I get, you know, say I've got a contractor coming over or somebody's delivering furniture. And I get a phone call uh, in roughly the delivery window from an area code I don't recognize. It's probably the damn delivery driver with his, you know, West Virginia phone number or New Jersey phone number or whatever. 
Montana phone number. It's like I hate in those situations where I have to answer those calls because then I'm also answer, you know, uh, all the policemen, benevolent society and the people who are trying to scam me and the people who are trying to raise money from me or the, you know, the surveys, the political uh, polls. It's like I don't want to talk to any of these people. (laughs) So in general, I try to never answer uh, if I don't know the number or if the, you know, the identification thing on my phone doesn't tell me it's, you know, an office or a business or somebody that I know that I, the default is don't answer unless I know that I want to. In the time period of this movie, the default is you must answer. You don't have the option of not answering. <laughs> you know, there's no an- and also pre-answering machine. So you can't just let the machine get it. That certainly was an era like a, a, that bridged these two ways of dealing with it. But just, and also probably at this time, you couldn't unplug it from the wall. <laughs> you can take it off the hook and listen to the, eh, 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 but you could not uh, just unplug the whole thing because it was like wired into the wall. You could cut, you could cut the wire, but you can't uh, unplug it and then replug it when you're uh, willing to get it. And that's just, it was really something that, um, that struck me. Like in my lifetime, this has gone to such a different, like the technology is so different, but the the role it has in your life is so different. The idea that someone was calling for you used to outweigh everything. It outweighed dinner. It outweighed sleep. Somebody calls you and, you know, if your clangy, clangy phone rings at 2 a.m., someone's dead. That's or someone's dead or conceivably they're in jail and then he bailed out. And these are not situations where you could just, you know, now if I get a phone, I'm like, my phone won't ring after 10, between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. So I'm not getting that phone call. It's just, it's just funny. Uh, it, 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 it's a funny how the technology changed and then we kind of changed along with it. One of the things I listen to, I listen to this thing every morning pretty much, is Seeking Alpha has a podcast that's uh, called Wall Street Breakfast. And then they have added a second one uh, uh, in the early afternoon called Wall Street Lunch. And it's just news. It's financially based news. This company, uh, you know, announced layoffs. This company uh, is reporting earnings. This stock went up. The stock went down. Even though I don't do day trading type stuff, I kind of listen to it just just to keep my head in like what's happening. I'm not generally making decisions based on this, but it is, you know, I'm an old middle aged retired guy. Uh, It's probably good to, you know, have some form of news like this in my life. And on the weekends, they have uh, not news, but a lot of times they might have uh, some sort of analyst talking about what to expect from the week or sometimes talking about macro trends and things like that. And if something about this podcast makes my blood boil, it's usually those analysts. Because the situation where I'm in is I have my pile of retirement money um, and I want it to keep making money. I also have um, political leanings and feelings uh, about how the world should work that are less, they're more on the side of labor and less on the side of uh, capital and management, let's say. So uh, there is a little tension in me where I want to make money, but unlike kind of the like the capitalist ideal, I don't necessarily believe in making money at all costs. It's 
case in point, layoffs. Like, not only let's let aside the fact that layoffs are um, a ineffective. Like, there are many studies that show that um, in a situation, two very similar companies faced with uh, you know a short term. Um, softening of demand. The one that does layoffs when the demand picks back up is in a worse position, which makes it shouldn't be controversial. It's like the easiest thing in the world to figure out is if you give yourself a brain drain by firing people. And then when you need the people, they're not there. No fucking shit. Sherlock. (laughs) So let aside that even on the moral dimension, I used to really it was when did the like the offshoring start? It seems like it was in the 90s, you know, through the present day. But when all the call centers started leaving America. And I did hate this. There was a time period where you if you got a customer service person, um, there's a 50 50 chance that they spoke English fluently enough for you to understand. I used to get so angry. This is not xenophobia. This is I'm trying to get some shit done and I cannot understand the person that, you know, whoever, Lowe's, that's answering the customer service call for Lowe's. I can't understand them. Um, But it made me mad on a moral level because these companies, they're all failing the prisoner's dilemma. Because if every company in America offshores the bulk of their um, workforce, no one in America has customers. But if one company does it... um, and they successfully like avoid paying people, then uh, then they win the game. And if everyone does it, the whole thing takes a shit. Like the whole system, the whole U.S. economy just uh, dies. So you've got this kind of race to do to fire American workers, but just enough to increase your profits. Uh, you know, get your fat uh, CEO bonus, your your CFO and CTO bonus, but not enough to bring the whole uh, house of cards down. And uh, there was a time where I wanted to have a website tracking um, who was offshoring jobs um, because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to give, it's like, let the people in India or wherever, uh, China or, you know, where Uzbekistan, wherever the hell they're sending the jobs, let them be their customers. Those fuckers can go, uh, you know, peddle their wares wherever it is they're sending the jobs and leave me alone. And I used to always point this out uh, in the era of rampant um, outshoring is that, you know, I will bet you there are a thousand Indian CEOs that could do your job without without a paycheck of $50 million a year. I'll bet there are plenty of CEOs that would do your job as well or better for $500,000 a year. So why don't you offshore your own job to that CEO? How, how is that? Uh, you know, that's never, uh, on the table, but you know, sending the call center somewhere else that used to just drive me, uh, drive me mad. I was laid off one time and it was, and it changed my life. It's why I'm retired now. I, I won't relay the whole story, but just getting laid off. And I was, when did I get, I got laid off in May and I got rehired. I got a new job in October-ish or November-ish. I was laid off about six months in my entire working career. And it altered me. It made me a different person. It made me approach work differently. I never, ever looked at an employer the same way. I never had the same level of loyalty to any company. I mean, post, pre and post layoff, like, um, 
I, you know, when I interviewed with Home Depot and I was going to write software for their call center, by the way, um, and they said, we bleed black, you know, we bleed black and orange. And I was like, this is post layoff. And I, I knew for myself, I am not going to uh, bleed black and orange for anybody. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Uh, that's I'm not associating myself with the company that much because I know that this company will cut me loose if they feel like it. And it doesn't even have to be a good reason. The, the case in point, like all the tech layoffs or not, the tech layoffs of the last you know 18 months, the ones that started in like late 2022, you know, Google and basically all the asshole tech companies that you uh, can think of laid people off. My former employer did not to their credit, but a lot of these, you know, a lot of your AFANG companies did and uh, fuck them for it because they didn't have to. They're still making money hand over fist. They just were worried. Or uh, I believe there was some venture capitalist who was telling people, I think you're overstaffed, lay off 6%. It was basically a directive from some people. And I was like, fuck these guys, fuck that mindset. So anyway, that, that that whole line of thinking just makes me so angry, even though it may mean a short-term bump in their stock price, which may, if I hold that stock, means that I make a little bit more money. But it's such myopic, short-term, lack of vision, dumb shit thinking. I just fucking hate it. Now, a thing that's not technically the same, but feels like the same line of thinking, it feels like the same kind of inquiry, is there was an episode of Roderick on the line recently, and they were talking about doing projects for other people. And, you know, and it was kind of John Roderick, uh, a.k.a. Bean Dad, by the way. Let's, let us never forget that. <laughs> if anybody, they probably don't know his name. Anybody who knows him as Bean Dad but doesn't know his name that puts you in a very clear bucket from where I'm sitting. But they were talking about being in bands and doing projects for people, sometimes uh, that don't pay, or writing things for people and doing stuff. And they said uh, one of the the things that they – Merlin Mann, the other person in this conversation, both said that is they have figured out uh, that when somebody's offering you a nickel to do a project, just – the best thing is to uh, tell them to keep the nickel. I think that might have even been the title of the episode was Keep the Nickel. That, uh, you know, the the larger question they were asking is, why do anything for anybody else's anything? <laughs> you know? And uh, that that really rung true with me. And this is one of those ones I don't, I you know, I have a, a very large, I have thousands of episodes in a podcast backlog. I may actually go back and re-listen to that one. Because I kind of want to hear that conversation over again. Or maybe I'll run it through Whisper and reread the transcript, but something like that, because I found it really insightful. Again, there will be a link to this particular episode in the show notes, evilgeniuschronicles.org. But then the other thing that I was that that, that made me think about, uh, basically the the whole idea of doing things to somebody else's anything, whether it's their, you know, doing it for their podcast network that you don't own a part of. Like, why even join a podcast network? You know, uh, you know, all the things. Why do anything where somebody is calling shots on you um, that you may or may not want to do? Uh, you know, I mean, I guess theoretically, I'm in a podcast network. I have 100% veto control over any ad. You actually get asked, like, do you care about this ad? And if you say no, they say, fine. Don't, you know, not every ad is for every person. 
But then I kind of thought about back when I listened to Cortex, it, when I listened to the whole of Cortex up until whenever I stopped, dropped the show and stopped listening, you can hear over the years, CPG Gray talking about the various things he did with YouTube, basically chasing whatever it is that like helps the algorithm put your content in front of other people, whether that's shorter videos or sometimes longer videos or stories or certain kinds of titles or certain kind of, you know, stuff, certain kinds of thumbnails. Or so. And it's just an endless treadmill of doing shit to other people's uh, specifications. And I'm sure um, YouTubers, like the history of the videos that YouTubers have made since there were YouTubers. And I will always be salty about YouTubers, particularly the ones, the monologist type YouTubers who are doing effectively what me and my cohorts have been doing for 20 years, except they turned on a video and recorded their stupid faces doing it. And somehow they make a million dollars a year. What the fuck world? <laughs> what the fuck? But, uh, so much of what they've done over the, the history of, creating their craft, you know, I'll give them the credit for having a craft is doing it according to whatever YouTube says, we'll get it in front of people or TikTok or tagging it the way that will be most effective. It's just this endless treadmill. There are so many decisions across the history of the last 10 years of these videos that may not be what the people really felt in their hearts, but they're what they're trying to do to get the content via the algorithm as they best understood it at the time. It seems like an awful way to live. I don't know. Which is why, for better or worse, whatever success or lack thereof I've had, uh, I haven't done much of that. Occasionally. Occasionally, I will do something like that. The term for anything I do like that is calling it douchebaggery. <laughs> right? Uh, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of new media douchebaggery, which means do something that somebody else is telling me is a best practice. By and large, I just do whatever I feel like. Um, and it means that I'm not wildly successful uh, as a podcaster. I've barely scraped by for 19 years. I'm in the podcast hall of fame. And yet, uh, you know, I don't know what the max listenership I've ever had, but it ain't that impressive. It would impress practically nobody. If you started a true crime podcast tomorrow, and just go for it. You'll probably, you know, in a couple of months, uh, exceed my subscriber base. So be it. But what I haven't done is a bunch of shit I don't stand by. A bunch of shit I didn't want to do. A bunch of shit I didn't really feel, but I felt like I had to um, meet the spec. Do the, th whatever. You know, I stand by what I've done. You can like it. You can not like it. You can join the Patreon. You can leave the Patreon. You can subscribe to the show, unsubscribe to the show. But at least know this is that whatever show I put out was the show I felt like putting out. And to me, that's it's not like a purity. I, I don't believe in the art art monk, you know. I don't believe you're more virtuous for a monastic devotion to your craft. But you know, I feel in general, if you're doing what you want to do, it's gonna be better than doing what you don't want to do. That's just that's just life, baby. That's just how it works. Doing what you feel, you know, as Penn Gillette used to say, he would look at something like a movie or something and say, there's not a lot of love in this. If there's love in it, at the very least, you feel good about it. Even if nobody responds to it or cares or can even tell the difference, you feel the difference. You, the, you feel better for having recorded it. So, 
there you go. Last thing, Podcast Hall of Fame, let us uh, acknowledge Michael Butler, my former uh, co-host on Mad at Dead, is going in the Podcast Hall of Fame. Here's a little secret. Something's going astray. I've never gotten anything from the Podcast Hall of Fame. Uh, if it if they sent me stuff, it went to my spam and I never noticed it. I didn't nominate him. I didn't vote for him. I don't know when the voting happened. I didn't know... Uh, because I'm not paying attention to a lot of stuff uh, the last couple months, um, I don't even know when this was announced. Uh, I believe uh, the day this show drops is when the Hall of Fame thing is happening. In I don't know where it's happening. Las Vegas, maybe? I don't know. Um, I don't know who one other nominee is. I haven't gone to the webpage to look. So I'm probably not a great um, alumnus of the Hall of Fame. But I don't know. I truly don't know what's going on. Like when the dust has settled, I got to reach out to some people and say, guys, I want to nominate and I want to vote. So if you don't hear from me, something is wrong. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And uh, I don't know. I will probably um, I'm not going to watch the whole ceremony. Um, I will probably wait till it's done. Look at the video. Fast forward to Butler. Uh, watch his uh, speech and uh, let it ride. I probably ought to send the, the brother a text um, congratulating him. But uh, I've just been so out of out of everything. I haven't. I don't look at Facebook. I don't look at Mastodon. I don't look at anything. I'm just you know. I'm just fighting for life here. But anyway, congratulations, Michael Butler, Podcast Hall of Famer. Long may you wave. Long live the Rock and Roll Geek Show. Long live Mad at Dad. With that, let us do this one thing uh, before I get out of here, which is it is time once again for a thing we call the reading of the patrons. The following people went to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon, and pledged to support to keep the shambling mess shambling. Thank you to Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, Arhuli, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoco, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Paul Reynolds, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic, Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Brian Springer, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, Brian Hogan, Matt Beckwith, and patron in exile, Nutty Nukchas, thank you one and all for supporting the shambling mess. And with that, let us kill the music. All right. I remembered to leave a hole for that. Congratulations, me. Woo. If you want to find me, you can uh, reach out Dave at EvilGeniusChronicles.org. That's an email to me. Don't forget, if you can tell me where the seam is <laughs> when I left for about half an hour uh, mid-sentence, I will first person. I will send you a shirt. I will send it worldwide. So if you're in Australia, you're in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, this is your time. <laughs> you can get a shirt, free shipping from me. Uh, just reach out. EvilGeniusChronicles.org. That's where the show notes live. Long time ago, the guys from Beatnik Turtle pointed out to me: always use your domain name that your hosts your project's website. Always use an email from that. Don't send people to Gmail. When you have a website, 
your email address emphasizes the website, David Evil Genius Chronicles.org, Evil Genius Chronicles.org for the show notes. Ever since they told me that, I stopped using any other email in uh, my podcast. Thanks, guys. Um, Mastodon, Dave at Evil Genius Chronicles.org. If you subscribe to that in Mastodon, you will find this show and you will get the uh, show announcements. And should I ever post another blog that isn't a show announcement, you'll get that. I think that's it. All right. Trying to get on a schedule. We'll see. What happens next week? You and me, we'll find out together. Do not forget, as you wait with bated breath to see what happens, that I love you. Goodbye. Oh, shit. Did I start? (laughs) Okay, then. When that's over, if we're still alive, I'll clean my own fucking mess up.